Chapter One, Rembrandt and the Younger Son. Rembrandt was close to his death when he painted his prodigal son. Most likely it was one of Rembrandt's last works. The more I read about it and look at it, the more I see it as a final statement of a tumultuous and tormented life. Together with his unfinished paintings, Simeon and the Child Jesus, the prodigal son shows the painter's perception of his aged self, a perception in which physical blindness and a deep inner seeing are intimately connected. The way in which the old Simeon holds the vulnerable child and the way in which the father embraces his exhausted son reveal an inner vision that reminds one of Jesus' words to his disciples. Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. Both Simeon and the father of the returning son carry within themselves that mysterious light by which they see. It is an inner light, deeply hidden, but radiating an all-pervasive, tender beauty. The inner light, however, had remained hidden for a long time. For many years, it remained unreachable for Rembrandt. Only gradually and through much anguish did he come to know that light within himself and, through himself, in those he painted. Before being like the father, Rembrandt was for a long time like the proud young man who got together everything he had and left for a distant country where he squandered his money. When I look at the profoundly interiorized self-portraits which Rembrandt produced during his last years and which explain much of his ability to paint the luminous old father and the old Simeon, I must not forget that, as a young man, Rembrandt had all the characteristics of the prodigal son. Brash, self-confident, spendthrift, sensual, and very arrogant. At the age of 30, he painted himself with his wife, Saskia, as the lost son in a brothel. No interiority is visible there. Drunk, with his half-open mouth and sexually greedy eyes, he glares scornfully at those who look at his portrait, as if to say, isn't this a lot of fun? With his right hand, he lifts up a half-empty glass, while with his left, he touches the lower back of his girl, whose eyes are no less lustful than his own. Rembrandt's long, curly hair, his velvet cap with the huge white feather, and the leather-sheathed sword with double golden hilt touching the backs of the two merrymakers leave little doubt about their intentions. The drawn curtain in the upper right corner even makes one think of the brothels in Amsterdam's infamous red-light district. Gazing intently at this sensuous self-portrait of the young Rembrandt as the prodigal son, I can scarcely believe that this is the same man who, 30 years later, painted himself with eyes that penetrate so deeply into the hidden mysteries of life. Still, all the Rembrandt biographers describe him as a proud young man, strongly convinced of his own genius and eager to explore everything the world had to offer, an extrovert who loves luxury and is quite insensitive toward those about him. There is no doubt that one of Rembrandt's main concerns was money. He made a lot, he spent a lot, and he lost a lot. A large part of his energy was wasted in long, drawn-out court cases about financial settlements and bankruptcy proceedings. The self-portraits painted during his late 20s and early 30s reveal Rembrandt as a man hungry for fame and adulation, fond of extravagant costumes, preferring golden chains to the traditional starched white collars, and sporting outlandish hats, berets, helmets, and turbans. Although much of his elaborate dressing up can be explained as a normal way to practice and show off painting techniques, it also demonstrates an arrogant character who wasn't simply out to please his sponsors. However, the short period of success, popularity, and wealth is followed by much grief, misfortune, and disaster. Trying to summarize the many misfortunes of Rembrandt's life can be overwhelming. They're not unlike those of the prodigal son. After having lost his son, 
Rombardus in 1635, his first daughter Cornelia in 1638, and his second daughter Cornelia in 1640. Rembrandt's wife Saskia, whom he loved and admired deeply, dies in 1642. Rembrandt is left behind with his nine-month-old son Titus. After Saskia's death, Rembrandt's life continues to be marked with countless pains and problems. A very unhappy relationship with Titus's nurse, Gershi Dirksch, ends in lawsuits and the confinement of Gershi in an asylum, is followed by a more stable union with Hendriksha Stoffels. She bears him a son who dies in 1652 and a daughter Cornelia, the only child who will survive him. During these years, Rembrandt's popularity as a painter plummeted, even though some collectors and critics continued to recognize him as one of the greatest painters of the time. His financial problems became so severe that in 1656, Rembrandt is declared insolvent and asked for the right to sign over all his property and effects for the benefit of his creditors to avoid bankruptcy. All of Rembrandt's possessions, his own and other painters' works, his large collection of artifacts, his house in Amsterdam and his furniture are sold in three auctions during 1657 and 1658. Although Rembrandt would have never been completely free of debt and debtors, in his early 50s he is able to find a modicum of peace. The increasing warmth and interiority of his paintings during this period so that the many disillusionments did not embitter him. On the contrary, they had a purifying effect on his way of seeing. Jacob Rosenberg writes, he began to regard man and nature with an even more penetrating eye, no longer distracted by outward splendor or theatrical display. In 1663, Hendrikshe dies, and five years later, Rembrandt witnesses not only the marriage, but also the death of his beloved son Titus. When Rembrandt himself dies in 1669, he has become a poor and lonely man. Only his daughter Cornelia, his daughter-in-law Madeleine von Lu, and his granddaughter Titia survived him. As I look at the prodigal son kneeling before his father and pressing his face against his chest, I cannot but see there the once self-confident and venerated artist who has come to the painful realization that all the glory he had gathered for himself proved to be vain glory. Instead of the rich garments with which the youthful Rembrandt painted himself in the brothel, he now wears only a torn under tunic covering his emaciated body, and the sandals in which he has walked so far have become worn out and useless. Moving my eyes from the repentant son to the compassionate father, I see that the glittering light reflecting from the golden chains, harnesses, helmets, candles, and hidden lamps has died out and been replaced by the inner light of old age. It is the movement from the glory that seduces one into an ever greater search for wealth and popularity to the glory that is hidden in the human soul and surpasses death.